United Methodist Podcast, Episode 002, with Roger Ross, author of Meet the Good People. Joe and Sally, good people, are, are folks that pay their bills on time. They they take care of their neighbor's yard. They volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, they've never committed a crime. They don't kick their dog. And they don't know God. Welcome to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and leaders making a difference in the United Methodist Church. And now, here's Brad. Good people, and welcome to episode 002 of the United Methodist Podcast, where our mission is to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. I'm Dr. Brad Miller, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to join with me today on the podcast. Today, we have a conversation with Reverend Dr. Roger Ross. He's the senior pastor of First United Methodist Church in Springfield, Illinois, and the author of the new book, Meet the Good People, subtitled Wesley's Seven Ways to Share Faith. Roger and I had a great talk together about these seven ways to share faith with the good people of our communities, and a little bit later, we'll also have our Methodist moment with Wesley scholar, Dr. Andy Kinsey. This is the United Methodist Podcast. Today's episode of the United Methodist Podcast is brought to you and supports Mission Guatemala. Mission Guatemala is an advanced special mission of the United Methodist Church under the direction of Reverend Tom Heaton. It serves a profoundly poor area in rural Guatemala with feeding centers, preschools, and medical dental services. To find out more about mission trips and service opportunities, go to missionguatemala.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by the new book, Meet the Good People, Wesley's Seven Ways to Share Faith. It's by Roger Ross, and it's published by Having It Press. Meet the Good People is a powerful response to people who are spiritual but not religious. You can win a free hard copy of Meet the Good People and have it personally inscribed by the author by going to unitedmethodistpodcast.com. It was a real treat for me to have a conversation recently with Reverend Roger Ross. Dr. Ross is the senior pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Springfield, Illinois. Roger and I have known each other for quite some time. Indeed, we planted churches together in different communities, but on the exact same date in the mid-1990s. And we spent a lot of time in conversation over the years talking about something close to our hearts. That is, how can the United Methodist Church relate better to people far from God but who are good people, people who for one reason or another have not made a connection to God through a local church. In his new book, Meet the Good People, Wesley's Seven Ways to Share Faith, uh, Roger takes his study of the life and ministry of John Wesley and applies it into the context of 21st century culture, and he comes up with seven ways we can share our faith with the people Roger has termed Joe and Sally good people. I know you're going to enjoy our conversation all about the book, and you'll find it fruitful in your ministry in some form or another. Roger and I also have some conversation about general conference and about something near and dear to both of our hearts, golf. 
You will find this conversation beneficial to your ministry. Let's make the connection right now. The United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Our guest today is uh, the Reverend Roger Ross, who is a uh, good friend of mine. We've known each other for some years now and involved with church planning activities together and other forms of ministry. But uh, he right now serves the United Methodist Church at the First United Methodist Church in Springfield, Illinois, and just recently also released a book, which I read recently, and it's a terrific book. It's called Meet the Good People, Wesley's Seven Ways to Share Faith. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brad. Glad to be a part of it. Wonderful, wonderful. Roger, uh, I always like to ask folks who come to the podcast, just tell us a little bit about your faith story, kind of how you came to know the Lord, and then how you worked through the process of ending up now as pastor of First Church in Springfield. Just give us a little bit of your story. Okay. Well, I grew up in Cambridge, Illinois, uh, up by the Quad Cities, and had two fantastic Sunday school teachers, uh, one when I was in junior high and one in high school that had a big impact on my life, uh, in addition, of course, to my parents and uh, other family members, my my grandmother, uh, Jane Lowe, was a big impact on my life as well. And I came to Christ at 14 and really was still pretty well focused on being a marine biologist. So that was my life uh, goal from about eight years old on. I uh, went to uh, college at Illinois Wesleyan to become a marine biologist, and God rerouted my entire life. Uh, and since God does that to- sometimes. <laughs> totally. Since the call into ministry. Uh, and then uh, went to seminary, started serving churches uh, back in Illinois, uh, had the privilege of uh, starting a new church uh, in Champaign in 1994. Uh, and was there for a number of years and then uh, moved to Springfield first uh, in, I guess it was August of 2007. And here you are, and you've been involved in ministry for some time. You're also involved with things in your annual conference. I know that you're a uh, a reserve delegate to general conference as well. And, and of course, you're an author of, of a book. But before we get into your book, just tell us one good thing that's gone on in your ministry, especially recently in Springfield. One thing that's been a real, uh, where God's done a good thing. Well, I, I'd say one thing that uh, jumps to mind immediately is our one-minute missions. Uh, we've uh, been involved in a lot of mission work uh, at uh, Springfield First uh, for a number of years. But recently, we started doing these one-minute missions where we would have something available for people to do immediately after they left worship service. So uh, in one case, uh, it was uh, putting together pens and pencils and other things that would be a part of a backpack that would go to kids as they started school uh, in the fall. In our case, it was making sandwiches that would go to a homeless shelter here in our community. So we could make, you know, 1,500, 2,000 sandwiches in one weekend as everyone had a chance to spend one minute after worship service putting that all together and put it up in a little baggie and off we go. Cool. So that helps people get engaged immediately instead of being some sort of a far off, like a mission trip you might plan for a long ways off. 
tangible, right. hands hands on yeah. stuff. It's it's very tangible, very hands on, and it's a first step. You know, it's it, it's it's a little thing we ask people to do, but it gets people thinking in a missional mindset uh, and thinking about how we could be connected to our community uh, by doing simple acts of service that show God's love in a practical way. I'm convinced that things that relate uh, people to a cause of some sort uh, connects in their emotions and helps them be uh, more engaged with church, more engaged with serving God through through the church. Great. Hey, recently you wrote a book. It's called Meet the Good People. And in the book, you talk about a couple, maybe not unlike some of the couples that have gone on your uh, one-minute missions that you have in your church. Uh, Joe and Sally, good people. Tell us a little bit about Joe and Sally and a little bit about your motivations to uh, write this book. I have a special affection for Joe and Sally because there are so many Joes and Sallys uh, all across our nation. Uh, Joe and Sally, good people, are, are folks that pay their bills on time. They they take care of their neighbor's yard. They volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, they've never committed a crime. They don't kick their dog, and they don't know God. Mm. Uh, when you push them, uh, they will admit that something's missing in their lives, uh, but they can't actually put their finger on what that hole is or how to fill it. Uh, they want to connect with something that's bigger than them. They just don't know how and aren't even sure if it's possible. To them, uh, church is hopelessly boring and out of, outdated. And they uh, are just miffed uh, by and, and, and overwhelmed by the vast number of spiritual guides and options that are in our culture these days. So they don't even know where to start. But when they hear a little child pray, they think to themselves, wow, I wish I could talk to God like that. Those are the good people. Um, George Hunter, a distinguished professor of evangelism, said that there's probably 180 million people just like Joe and Sally all across the United States. And that the U.S. now is the largest mission field in the Western Hemisphere, third largest in the world. Hmm. It seems like your uh, I guess I might call it an avatar or your your uh, description of Joe and Sally there is there does that come out of some personal experiences experiences that you have that uh, a motivation of some particular incident that kind of tipped you this way to think about in terms of uh, describing your experience this way? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I met a bunch of uh, people just like Joe and Sally when uh, we were starting uh, New Horizon uh, back in the mid-90s. Uh, and uh, as I got to know these people, this, this kind of description was very, uh, you know, very apt time after time after time in people's lives. Uh, they, they were good people. Um, they were wonderful neighbors. They're just, you know, your coworker, your brother-in-law, the girl sits next to you uh, in class. Could be your dad. Could be your daughter. These are all wonderful people. They just are clueless when it comes to God and spiritual things. It seems like uh, your description it relates a lot to some of the research that's been uh, prevalent here re- recently. Pew Research coming out with uh, the articles and such about the Church of the Nun, of uh, the Nun uh, having to do with how the largest group religiously are people who don't go to church but still have a uh, sensitivity towards things spiritual. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so it seems pertinent that you've written this book that kind of speaks to this issue of the church of, of the nuns. 
Um, well, go ahead. I was just going to say that, uh, that this is the, these people uh, weigh very heavily on my heart. Uh, they, uh, in many cases, they're my friends. Uh, they're people that I connect with on a regular basis throughout uh, my day in day out life, uh, and my heart just breaks for them because um, because oftentimes their lack of uh, any kind of spiritual sense, their lack of connection with God leads them down terrible roads. You know, it leads them uh, into uh, bankruptcies and divorces and uh, addictions and all kinds of things that uh, actually end up shipwrecking their lives. And it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, They could know a God whose love for them is so high and so deep and so wide that it overcomes uh, these other things that are trying to pull their lives under. And that's where the church should be stepping into those gaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in your book, uh, Roger, you, uh, refer to John Wesley quite a bit and, and Wesleyan thinking and theology and practices in the, in the church. Um, tell us a little bit about how you approach Joe and Sally with a little bit of undergirding of Wesleyan principles, uh, how, how are we reaching them? You, you mentioned seven principles to reach these folks. Yeah, actually, when when we were starting uh, New Horizon, we kind of stumbled onto these seven things, uh, and I was uh, also in the process of doing a doctor of ministry, and and so um, I looked further into uh, the initial movement uh, of Methodism and saw how Wesley uh, used these seven principles to start this revival. Now, of course, uh, it was all baptized by the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was just an incredible uh, anointing of the Spirit on Wesley's life and on that movement. Uh, But there were identifiable principles uh, that were used then that I thought, well, maybe they could be used now and would still have some impact on people's lives and eternities. And uh, surprisingly enough, 250 years later, uh, they worked just as well in Champaign, Illinois. You found Wesley still to be relevant. Yeah, as they worked back in uh, the 18th century of England. Well, unpack a Um, couple of these principles for us then that Wesley had and that you've applied in in a modern-day context. Uh, I would uh, I would start with the one that Wesley started with, and that's uh, be devoted uh, to God in prayer. Okay. I mean, this this was a guy who stayed close to the power all the time. He called it the grand means of drawing near to God. Uh, and Wesley understood that, that prayer releases the power of God. It brings God's increase. It's the precursor to change, the precursor to revival. Uh, and whenever God wants to start uh, a new work, God always sets people apart to pray first. So Wesley devoted two hours of his day, every day, uh, in the, the heat of the revival, when the, the time uh, demands on his life were the greatest, he would spend two hours a day in prayer. I mean, this guy was a prayer warrior. Are Joe and Sally praying people? And if not, uh, how can we be helpful to them? You know what? That's a great question. Uh, I really do think that, that Joe and Sally do pray, um, but they don't really know how to pray. Um, it, it's uh, kind of hit or miss. I mean, their their notion of prayer is is more like, uh, you know, God uh, being something like a great big slot machine in the sky with a huge ear attached to it. And if you just pour the right words in, it'll all come up cherries and whatever you want will come out the chute. 
But that's not really what prayer is about. It's not about getting things. It's about being in a relationship with God. Uh, and um, most people like Joe and Sally will, you know, kind of try the hit or miss um, prayer thing and not really understand how they can be in a relationship and how that relationship then starts to form their lives. Of course, building relationships is totally Westland, and we can certainly apply that. Great. What's something else that you have, uh, some other uh, methodologies, I guess we might say, to, to impact Joe and Sally? Uh, well, uh, one of the things that Wesley did uh, remarkably well was uh, he always went to where the people were. Um, he didn't expect them to come to him. He did it first. Uh, he was uh, the, the ultimate churchman, and he really was convinced uh, early on in his life uh, that uh, no one could actually get saved outside of the confines of the stained glass uh, building. But um, as Wesley had his own uh, confirmation of faith and his own conversion uh, to uh, justification by faith rather than by works, uh, he began to realize that, my gosh, there are an awful lot of people out here that don't know uh, what it means to be in a real relationship with God. Uh, and uh, he had become so enthusiastic in his preaching, he had been uh, essentially cut off from all, uh, almost all of the Church of England churches. The pastors wouldn't allow him to speak in, in their pulpits. So he started going directly to the people, following the example of George Whitfield. Pretty radical uh, for his time, right? Incredibly radical. Uh, so, and he would just show up in an open field or on the side of uh, a kind of busy crossway uh, and find a rock to stand on and just start preaching in the open air. So what are the modern day equivalents to being a bit radical or a bit uh, out of the box in terms of reaching people now? I think there are a lot of those. Um, I mean, certainly social media is a big part of that. It's so easy uh, to connect with lots of people through social media. Uh, I think um, you can also uh, simply go to the highways and byways. I mean, uh, we we <laughs> uh, on Ash Wednesday, uh, we had ashes to go. We went to a restaurant here in town. Ashes to go. Yes. Cool. And we just <laughs> we just took it to the restaurant. Anybody that showed up that morning sometime between uh, 7 and 8.30, uh, we uh, just uh, had a little prayer card for them, uh, explained what uh, ashes and ash they were all about. And, uh, Did you have some takers? Had that service. Yeah, we, you know, I think we had about 15 that morning. Wow. Uh, on a, a very cold, snowy morning. It was a terrible weather day. But still, um, we had a number of people that, that would never have stepped uh, inside the door of a church to do that, but did that in the safety of a restaurant. How about that? You also mention in, in your book uh, the important role of things like music and media and being culturally relevant play in terms of reaching folks. Can you say a word about that? Yeah, you know, this was another thing that Wesley discovered, uh, that uh, in his day uh, in the Church of England, lots of uh, Latin and heavy German music uh, that was uh, being used, kind of the, the uh, Gregorian and chants, that kind of thing, and great words, but it just didn't connect with the hearts of the everyday people, you know, and what Wesley discovered is something that the early church discovered, and then it got lost somewhere along the way, and it keeps getting lost, unfortunately, and that's essentially the indigenous principle that pre-Christian people connect most easily with the gospel when it comes to their native culture, uh, and so 
missionaries have always known this. You know, they you don't go to China and expect the Chinese uh, to learn your language uh, if it's in our case English, so that you can share the gospel with them. You learn their language, uh, and the same is true musically. We, if we want to connect with a particular people group, we need to figure out what's the heart language, the musical language of that group, and speak that language to them rather than having them try to come in and and uh, develop an appreciation for what we would consider to be the right kind of music for worship. If we want uh, to relate to people, we can't always expect them to conform to our ways. We have to relate to their needs. Yeah, it's, um, it's another way of going where the people are. Uh, absolutely. You're going, going to where they are culturally. Mm-hmm. Great. How cool is that? How, how does the established church... Uh, how do we make adjustments? How do the lady and the established church uh, get on board with these uh, methodologies to uh, to reach Joe and Sally? What kind of things are you doing or can we do in our established churches? You know, uh, that's a great question, Brad, because that's what uh, I've been working on since 2007 in uh, <laughs> the church that I serve. Uh, it's something that, uh, that occupies uh, a big part of the hard drive. Uh, in my life every single day uh, because uh, First United Methodist Church in Springfield uh, was started in 1821. Mm. In fact, I think we still have some of the original members. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is a church that has a lot of history and tradition, a church that has a great place within the community. Uh, Peter Cartwright, the famous uh, frontier preacher, uh, preached at First Methodist back in the day. Um, Abraham Lincoln came to revival services, First Methodist. Uh, This is a church that's got some history. Wow. Um, But I'll tell you what, um, history and a great heritage by itself will not allow you to be able to attract and engage the current generation. I was going to say, I bet Joe and Sally, uh, good people, uh, really have never heard of Cartwright and don't even really care a whole lot if Lincoln uh, went to revivals there. So it's making that bridge, isn't it? From our history and and our traditions and somehow uh, understanding them and appreciating them. But how do we apply, uh, apply Wesley thinking and these things to these good people? Right. And I really think that, uh, you know, as I've been working on this uh, issue in my own context, uh, the first place that I started is really the kind of the first place that Wesley started, and that's with prayer. Mm. I put an immense emphasis on prayer because I think that, that as you draw closer to God, more of God's heart will be reproduced in your heart. And God's heart is one of compassion for those that are far from us, you know, the, the far from him, uh, the, the most probably well-known scripture uh, in the Bible is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world they did what he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life out of God's great love for the world not out of God's great love for the church mm. wow out of God's great love for people that were far from him and had no connection with him he sent his son absolutely so if that heart of God can get reproduced in our hearts, uh, then we'll have a sufficient why to figure out the what 
that we need to do to connect with them and engage with them. So it sounds like you're kind of speaking almost against anything that even smacks of idolatry of church towards an understanding of a love of Jesus and how that is the transforming power and the church is the is you know is the vessel is the means is the tool for that to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the tools that you mentioned and that is certainly Wesleyan is uh, how life change happens in, in small groups. Um, do you see that happening in your church? Do you see small groups being influential on getting Joe and Sally connected and transformed? Uh, hugely. Uh, you know, we, we put a large emphasis on small groups uh, at Springfield First. Uh, not something that had been done previously uh, in this church. Uh, ironically, uh, because uh, w- if you look into the history of the church, it was started uh, as a small group, not just the history of uh, our denomination. We're, we're the only denomination, United Methodism, that started as a small group movement. Right. Uh, but uh, even this church in particular, Springfield First, was started uh, as a number of small groups that then later started having um, public worship services where everyone would gather together. Uh, but for a long time, it was a, a small group uh, movement to begin with. Well, certainly, uh, historically, and, a lot of churches started as bands and classes and, 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 and hiving off from existing churches and things like exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. And we found that as people get connected, I mean, when you have a larger church, it's incredibly important to have a few people that you really connect with uh, on a spiritual level. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's, uh, you know, there, there's no, there, there's not a sense of community uh, in a larger group. Uh, I mean, you can be very anonymous. You can walk in, walk out. Nobody even know that you were there. Uh, but when you're in a small group, people know that you're there or know that you're not. Uh, and if you are able to actually pull down the mask and allow yourself to share who you really are with others, uh, and uh, allow them to speak into your life uh, and and pray for one another to help each other to live more like Jesus this week. Um, that has a, a shaping and molding effect that changes people from the inside out. Uh, that's amazing. So tell us, tell us, Roger, have you seen it work? You know, you've mentioned these seven key points in your book. Give us an example of how you've seen this work where uh, your example of Joe and Sally, uh, good people, have somehow transformed into Joe and Sally, good people who are committed to Christ. Uh, there, there are so many examples, uh, Brad. I, it really is hard for me to narrow down to just one, uh, but uh, I will give you one. I'll, I'll talk about Tom and Stacy. Uh, Tom and Stacy uh, first came uh, to the church uh, Tom was a professed atheist. Uh, Stacy uh, was a fallen away uh, Methodist. Uh, she hadn't been to church in quite some time. Uh, they were a young couple. Um, they didn't have kids at the time. Uh, and uh, they were simply just reaching out to, to look for some kind of um, uh, connection, some kind of um, group of friends that they could make because they felt isolated in the community. Uh, and uh, so that was their biggest need. They were just trying to uh, see if they could make a friend. Uh, turns out uh, that uh, as as they were, first of all, um, contacted by somebody within our church in kind of an anonymous way, reaching out to them, uh, they they had this, such a deep need to make a connection with other people. They said, okay, well, why not? We'll give it a shot. They showed up, and much to their uh, amazement, 
it actually connected with them. It was culturally relevant. It, it, it met them where they lived. It, uh, it addressed issues that they were dealing with. Uh, it gave, uh, they, they were invited to be a part of a small group. First time ever in their life, they became a smart part of a small group. Uh, that was transformational for them. They started to serve uh, others through that small group. They'd never done that before. They began to feel like, oh my gosh, I, I could be used by God to do something really good in someone else's life. Turns out, uh, not only did uh, Stacy recommit her life to Christ, but Tom uh, gave his life to Christ for the very first time. Uh, he now has gone to seminary and is looking to uh, serve full-time in church ministry. Wow. So that's incredible. So uh, you the seven points you make in, in your book can be applied and are working and do working, even though it's a challenging time for, for the church. There are some incredible things happening in the local church and certainly in, in your church and the opportunities there for other places. One of the things you also are involved with, uh, uh, that's kind of the micro, I guess, of how this can work. In, in, in the church, but the, the macro is how the, the general church works. And I know that you are a uh, reserve delegate from the Illinois Great Rivers uh, Conference to General Conference. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about some of the issues or some of the things that are on the table at General Conference, which might impact uh, local churches, particularly uh, as we seek to reach the Joe and Sally's of the world. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I have to spend a lot of time thinking about that in preparation for General Conference, which is just next month now. Um, but uh, obviously, the uh, the preeminent issue has to do uh, with human sexuality and the homosexuality issue that we've been wrestling with for many years now. Uh, I don't personally think that that's the most important issue uh, that faces the church right now. Uh, I think the most important issue that's facing the church is um, exactly the kinds of things that we've been talking about, our, our, our inability to engage our current culture. Uh, I, I ran across uh, a quote by Ed Stetzler that said that all churches are culturally relevant. Uh, the question is whether they are relevant to a culture that cur- currently exists in their community. Or, it might be the culture of 1958 or something, right? Exactly. Or, or he said to one that disappeared generations ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if, if that, uh, I think that is the crux of our issue in the United Methodist Church. Um, to be relevant to a culture that currently exists in our community uh, is our challenge. Some of our churches are doing a fantastic job with that. A lot of our churches are not. A lot of our churches are living in yesteryear. And as a result, um, our churches are growing smaller and older. Uh, and that doesn't bode well for the future of United Methodism or the future of the kingdom of God, which is even more important. Absolutely. And that, so the issues, we have to deal with those issues on a general conference level as well, but most importantly on the local church level. And, and I think you, you're uh, discerning a lot of the uh, uh, methodologies, if you will, that we can apply in prayer to the local church. Hey, Roger, just one more thing. I know that uh, I know you to be kind of a big time golfer. We played golf a few times and you uh, usually uh, wipe up the greens with with me. But uh, I know you had the opportunity recently to uh, attend the Masters Golf Tournament and uh, and be at Augusta. Tell us a little bit about that. And how'd how'd you shoot down there? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, Bradley, we'll take you to the So we had a great, great time. My son and I, uh, it was a dream come true for us to be able to go together. Uh, we had uh, tickets from a friend of ours who uh, allowed us to go to the uh, Wednesday practice round. So we, we saw some people uh, practicing and then also went to the Par 3 contest. Unbelievably fun. They, uh, in the practice rounds, they allow you to take a camera. So we got a bunch of uh, pictures, got some autographs of some of the players and any pictures uh, of just, you in a green jacket, my friend. <laughs> no, I didn't even get a chance to touch a green jacket. But I saw some. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, any other word that you would want to leave us here with today, Roger, any word of advice or encouragement to uh, local church pastors or leaders or to uh, anyone else? You know, I I think that uh, we're in a very exciting time. Uh, I think the, that there are all kinds of opportunities uh, for us uh, in the, the the specific time that God has placed us, and uh, it's it's easy, I think, to think that this is uh, you know overwhelming or a challenge that we're not up to. But I don't believe that for a second. Uh, I believe that the the United Methodist Church and individual United Methodist churches and pastors and lay leaders. Uh, have been given the gifts that God uh, wants for them to have to be used in such a way to engage our culture and reach people that are like Joe and Sally that would be open to an invitation to come to church, that would be open to spiritual things if only someone would care enough to get involved in their lives. Uh, these people that are all around us all the time, um, and oftentimes we frankly just don't notice them, uh, but... God has a heart for them. If God can place that heart in us, uh, we can not only notice them, but engage them in a way that they can come to know God in Jesus Christ as well. Wow. That's a great place for us to conclude our, our conversation, uh, Roger. And it just sounds ultimately the, the church is, United Methodist Church is called to, to, in the words of Wesley, to do all the good that we can. This is the United Methodist Podcast. Many thanks to my friend, Reverend Roger Ross. I know you found some good nuggets of information that can be helpful to you in your, in your ministry context. You can find out more about Roger and his ministry in Springfield about, and about the book, Meet the Good People, on our show notes at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. Making Disciples of Jesus Christ for the Transformation of the World. Our regular feature on the United Methodist Podcast will be a moment or two devoted to Wesley or some aspect of Methodist history or theology. Today we have with us Wesleyan scholar Reverend Andy Kinsey from Grace United Methodist Church in Franklin, Indiana. I think it was Bishop Rains who said that if a sermon was worth preaching once, it was probably worth preaching twice. I share that because this is the 250th anniversary of John Wesley's famous sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation. And if there is a sermon that has captured the imagination of Methodists and Christians since that time, it would be this particular sermon, one of Wesley's most famous sermons that he preached on several occasions, and that was at the heart of the Methodist revival, where he outlines uh, what God is doing and how we may understand the life of grace, uh, the life of discipleship, where he talks about prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace, leading us into this dynamic relationship with God.
with God. And I think that um, if anyone was to start to study John Wesley and uh, grapple with what he's trying to say, he or she would want to start with this uh, great sermon, uh, The Scripture Way of Salvation, outlining what it means to be a Methodist and how we may understand God's grace uh, working in our lives. Strengthening the Connection. Well, it's about time we bring this episode 002 of the United Methodist Podcast in for a landing. I want to give a great word of thanks to my guest today, Reverend Dr. Andy Kinsey with the Methodist Moment, and of course to Reverend Dr. Roger Ross. I do want to share with you that Roger's book, Meet the Good People, helps to bring the United Methodist Podcast to you. And you can win an autographed copy of his book by entering the contest at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. We are also brought to you today and supportive of Mission Guatemala. Mission Guatemala has an incredible, amazing, miraculous story of United Methodist Mission that just rose from nothing to having a powerful impact in a desperately poor country. You need to hear this story. Go to Mission Guatemala to learn all about it. That's MissionGuatemala.com. Most of all, I want to thank you, you good people, for checking out the United Methodist Podcast today. The mission of the United Methodist Podcast is strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And we do this to achieve the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the the world. You can be supportive of the United Methodist Podcast simply by spreading the, the good word about the podcast to your network of friends and colleagues and connecting to other members of our growing community by going to facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast and like us there. And you can uh, find us also on iTunes. Go to United Methodist Podcast on iTunes and we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps people who are searching on the web to find us. Of course, you can find out all the details about everything that happens on the United Methodist Podcast at our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. That's where you can get on board with the United Methodist Podcast Connect newsletter. And if you do that, we have a free gift for you there. Well, it has been a privilege to be with you today, you good people, as we strengthen together the connection in the United Methodist Church. Until next time, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to do all the good you can. Thank you for listening to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect with other members at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. Until next time, continue to make disciples and to transform the world.